Chapter Six of Agincourt, a Romance by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Suspicions Upon the borders of Hampshire and Sussex, but still within the former county, lies, as the reader probably knows, a large tract of land, but little cultivated even now, and which in the days whereof I speak was covered either with scattered trees and copses or wild heath having various paths and roads winding through it, which led now to a solitary village with a patch of cultivated land round about it, now to a church or chapel in the wild, now travelled on through the hills, which are high and bare, to Winchester or Basingstoke. Deep sand occupies a great portion of the ground, through which it is well-nigh impossible to construct a firm road, and the whole country is broken with wild and rapid undulations of no great height or depth, but every variety of form, the resort of all those rare birds, which afforded so much interest and amusement to gentle white of Selborne. Through this rude and uncultivated track a little before the close of day, in the beginning of April 1413, two gentlemen clothed in deep mourning of the fashion of the day rode slowly on. Both were very grave and silent, and if the complexion of their thought was sad and solemn, the aspect of the scene at that hour was not calculated to lighten the heart, though it might arouse feelings of admiration. The sun hung upon the edge of the sky, broad masses of cloud floated over the wide expanse of azure, which stretched out above the wild heath, and their shadows, as they crossed the slanting rays, swept over the varied surface below, casting long lines of country into deep blue shade while the rest shone in the cool, pale evening sunshine of the yet unconfirmed spring. Each dell and pit, too, at that hour, was filled with the same sort of purple shadow. The braes and banks looked wilder and more strongly marked from the position of the sun. The occasional clumps of fir-trees cut sharp and black upon the western sky, and everything was stern and grand and solemn. Rising over one slope and descending another, by paths cut imperfectly through the heath and gorse, the travellers had ridden on for half an hour without speaking, when at length at the bottom of a deep valley where the sun could no longer be seen, and the shades of evening seemed already to have fallen, they stopped to let their horses drink in a large piece of water, sheltered by a thick copse, and gazed upon the reflection of the blue sky above and the clouds floating over it. As they moved on again, a large white bird started up from the reeds and flew heavily away, with its snowy plumage strangely contrasting with the dark background of the wood and hill. "'Tis like a spirit winging its way from earth,' said Sir Henry Dacre, following the bird with his eyes. "'Poor Catherine! Would that aught else had set thee free from the chain that bound thee to me, but death!' "'Luckless girl, indeed,' replied Richard of Woodville, "'from her infancy unfortunate.' and yet men thought that the hand of heaven had showered upon her its choicest gifts beauty wealth kind friends and a noble heart to love her if she would but have welcomed it but alas harry the crowning gift of all was wanting a spirit that could use god's blessing aright it was more the fault of others than her own said sir harry dacre that i do believe her mother made her what she was tis sad tis very sad richard that at the period when we have no power to form ourselves each weak fool who approaches us can give us some bad gift which we never can cast off like the evil fairies at a child's birth answered richard of woodville and certainly her mother was a bad demon to her 
but still, though I would not speak ill of those who are gone, yet poor Kate received the gifts willingly enough, destructive as they were. Would to heaven it had been otherwise. But others encouraged her in all that was wrong, as well as her mother. This man, Royden, was no good counsellor for a lady's ear. The brow of Sir Henry Dacre grew dark as night. "'He is a scoundrel,' he cried. "'He is a scoundrel, and if he ever gives me the chance of having him at my lance's point, he or I shall go to that place where all men's actions are made clear. Oh, that I knew the truth, Richard! Oh, that I knew the truth!' "'There is one who knows it,' answered Richard of Woodville, "'who never suffers foul deeds to rest in darkness. "'Trust to him.' and if this knave does but support his charge, perhaps your lance may be the avenging instrument of heaven. May it be so, replied the knight, but I doubt it, Richard. True, he has not shown himself a coward in the field, and yet I cannot but think that he is craven at heart. Saw you not how carefully his letter to Sir Philip was worded, how he insinuated more than he dared say? And then, why did he not come? A sickness, forsooth! the excuse of an idle schoolboy. He would not face me. That is the truth. He fears me, Richard, and will not dare the test of battle. Well, that we shall soon see, answered his companion. Your messenger must be at my house by this time with his reply. I trust so, said Dacre thoughtfully. Yet he will take time to write carefully, believe me. His will be no rash epistle, written in fiery anger at his cousin's death. No, no, it will be done as if a scrivener had dictated every word and in a courtly hand. But whatever he does, mark me, he will leave the poison behind, and so calculate as to cast suspicion over me for life. But who suspects you, Dacre? asked Richard of Woodville with a smile. Not one honest man on earth. You are too well known for doubts to light upon you. Does not Sir Philip, her own uncle, love you as a son? "'And can you let the idle words of a knave like this disturb your peace?' "'My peace, Richard,' said Sir Henry Dacre sadly. "'Can a high and honest heart ever feel peace so long as one doubt, "'one unrefuted charge, casts a cloud upon it? "'I would rather die a thousand deaths than have men point at me and say "'he was suspected of a foul crime against an innocent lady. "'And besides, even those that I love best, "'those who hold me dearest, may often ask themselves,' "'Could it be true?' "'Not a whit,' replied Woodville. "'No one will ever ask such a thing. "'Like a wounded man, you think that everyone will touch the spot "'and feel the pain in fancy. "'Cast off such imaginations, Dacre. "'Secure in your own honour, laugh suspicion to scorn, "'and trust to the noble and the true to do justice "'to those who are like themselves.' "'Would I could do so, Richard,' said the knight, and it would be easy, too, did we not know that the wide world is so full of arrant knaves, and that amongst the knaves there are such hypocrites that honesty has no touchstone whereby true metal can be really known from false, and men rightly doubt the value of each coin they take, so cunning are the counterfeits. Hypocrisy is a greater curse to mankind than wickedness, for it makes all virtue doubted, and fills the bosoms of the good with suspicion from a knowledge of the feigning of the bad. Besides, amongst those who hold a middle course, neither plunging deep in the stream of vice and wrong, nor staying firmly on the shore of honour, how gladly every one attributes acts to others that may outdo the darkness of his own. No, no, suspicion never yet lighted on a name 
that ever was wholly pure again. All I ask is to give me that man before me, let me cram the falsehood down his throat at the sword's point, and wring the truth from his dying lips, or let me die myself. Well, we shall see what he replies, answered Richard of Woodville, finding it useless to argue farther with him, and if, as you suspect, he evades the question, what think you then to do? To go with you to Burgundy, answered Dacre, for I shall be then, one fitted well to take a part in civil broils, a right serviceable man, where danger is rifest, ever ready to lead the way in peril, having nor wife, nor relative, nor friend, nor hope, nor home, to make him feel the stroke that takes his life, more than the scratch of a sharp thorn that tears him as he passes through the wood. But you will surely first return, said Woodville, to say farewell to my good uncle and sweet Isabel. I do not know, replied Dacre. Dear Isabel, she tried to cheer me, and I know would not for worlds suffer doubts of me to rest for one hour in her heart, and yet they will come and go, Richard, whether she will or not. Each time I take her hand she'll think of Catherine, and though she'll answer boldly, it is false, as often as suspicions rise, yet they will be remembered and rest for ever as a shadow over our friendship. "'You do her wrong, Harry,' answered his companion. "'Your mind is sickly, and as a man in a sore disease "'you see all things through one pale mist. "'Isabel may often think of her who is no more, "'may grieve for her, and regret that she did not make life happier "'to herself and others, and that she met so early and so sad a death. "'But she will ever call her back to mind, "'as one who wronged you, not as one wronged by you, "'and you may be happy yet.' He spoke gravely, and Sir Henry Dacre turned and gazed at him, as if for explanation of his words. But Richard said no more, and riding on in silence, they soon after came to a point where the road began to rise, winding in slowly between two wooded hills, with a small streamlet following on by its side. The sun was sinking below the horizon as they passed through a village, with the bright blacksmith's forge jutting out beyond the other buildings and when at length they drew the rein before the gate of a tall house bosomed in trees, it was well nigh dark. Several servants came instantly into the court, and giving their horses to be taken to the stable, the two gentlemen entered the outer hall, and thence proceeded onwards to a room beyond, where they were immediately joined by a stout man. Habited as a courier who placed a letter in the hand of Sir Henry Dacre without speaking, "'So thou art back, Martin,' said the knight, while Richard of Woodville called for lights. "'Yes, noble sir,' answered the servant, "'but I have had to ride hard, for he kept me a long time, but that I don't wonder at.' "'Indeed,' exclaimed Sir Henry, "'why should he keep you long?' "'Because he wrote a long letter, sir,' replied the man. "'He might have waited till doomsday if he had been in my place, and I in his.' "'Did he look ill?' inquired the knight.' "'Not he, sir,' answered the servant. "'He was out goshawking after larks when I arrived.' "'The liar!' muttered Sir Henry Dacre. "'But at the same moment lights were brought in, "'and making the messenger a sign to retire, "'the knight opened the letter and read. "'Richard of Woodville stood by and watched him "'while his fine features, as he gazed intently upon the paper, "'assumed first a look of scorn and then of anger, "'and at length he exclaimed, "'As I thought, Richard, as I thought. "'On my life, I must be an astrologer and not know it, "'to have read this man's conduct to the letter beforehand. "'Mark what he says. 
Sir Simeon of Royden brings no charge against Sir Henry Dacre, and never has brought any, but holds him as good knight and true. He has therefore no cause to quarrel with the said knight, but far from it, wishes him all prosperity, the which Sir Henry would have clearly seen, if he had read carefully the letter which Sir Simeon wrote to the good knight of Dunbury, and had not looked at it rashly. Therein Sir Simeon thought to do Sir Henry Dacre an act of love and courtesy, by pointing out, he himself naught doubting, what might breed doubts in the hearts of other men, regarding the manner of the death of the Lady Catherine Beecham in order that the good knight might make such inquiries as would remove all suspicion. For this cause he remarked that he had only learned by hearsay that Sir Henry Dacre had, as unhappily often happened, a fierce quarrel with the Lady Catherine, about a gentleman, it would seem, calling himself Hal of Hadnock. "'Curses upon him!' cried Dacre, breaking off. "'Nay, nay, you do him wrong,' answered Richard of Woodville. "'He sought but to serve you, as I will tell you anon, Harry. But read on.' "'What says he more?' "'That Sir Harry quitted the hall in bitter anger,' continued Dacre, reading, "'and swearing he should go mad with the lady's conduct. "'Did I say so?' "'Woodville nodded his head, and his friend proceeded. "'That the said Sir Henry, though his house is distant but seven miles, "'did not reach his own door till the hour of nine, "'and that the lady came to her death between seven and eight, or thereabout, "'that Sir Henry's hand was torn when he reached his house,' and that there was a stain of blood upon the lady's throat, that there were marks of horses' feet on the opposite side of the river and across the moor towards Sir Henry's dwelling, and that he himself was seen of many persons wandering about near Abbot's Anne and Dunbury till dark that night, all of which points Sir Simeon of Royden doubted not in any way could be easily explained by Sir Henry Dacre, if true, but which perchance were untrue, he, Sir Simeon, having heard them merely from vague report and common fame. "'Some true, some false,' cried Dacre. "'I did tear my hand, opening the gate by Clatford Mill. "'I did wander about, with a heart on fire and a brain all whirling, "'at being made wretched by another's fault. "'But I was far from the village, far from the abbey and hall, "'before the sun went down, for I saw him set from Wayhill. "'Ah, poisonous snake!' He stings and glides away from the heel that will crush him. Hear how he ends. For his own part, Sir Simeon of Royden is right well convinced that Sir Henry Dacre is pure and free of all share in the lady's death. Otherwise that knight might be full sure he would be the first to call him to the lists in vengeance of his cousin's death. The scoundrel coward. But how is this, Richard? We must have spies in our houses, at our hearths. How else did he gain such tidings? Who told him of the quarrel between that hapless girl and me? He was gone long before, I think. Aye, but his servant stayed, replied Woodville. And there was one in the hall when you returned, that black-looking silent man. He must have some other means of information, too, else how did he know your hand was torn? I cannot say, answered Dacre thoughtfully. But heaven, he will plant suspicion in my heart, too, and make me doubt the long-tried faithful fellows I have with me. And he cast himself gloomily on a seat, and pondered in silence. The moment after there was a sound of horses' feet passing along before the house, and Richard of Woodville turned and listened, saying, There is some new messenger. Were it any of my own people, they will come to the other gate. After some talking in the hall without, an attendant opened the door and informed his young master 
that there was a person without who desired to see him. "'He comes from Westminster,' added the man, "'and will give neither message nor letters to any but yourself, sir.' "'Let him come in,' answered Richard of Woodville, "'and a personage was called forward, "'habited somewhat differently from any of those "'whom we have already had occasion to describe. "'He was dressed in what is called a tabard, "'and it must not be supposed from that circumstance "'that he bore the office of either herald or pursuivant, "'for many other classes retained that part of the ancient dress, "'and it was officially worn by the squires "'and many of the inferior attendants of kings and sovereign princes, "'sometimes over armour, sometimes without.' In particular cases, the tabard was embroidered either with the arms of the lord whom the bearer served, or with his own as a sort of coat of arms, but was frequently, especially with persons of somewhat low degree, perfectly unornamented, and formed of a fine cloth of a uniform colour. Such was the case with the man who now approached, his loose short gown with wide sleeves, being of a bright pink hue. The linen collar of his shirt fell over it, and the part of his dress left exposed below the knee showed nothing but the riding-boots of untanned leather, drawn up to their full extent. In person he was a short, thin young man, with a shrewd and merry countenance. His hair was cut short round the whole head, but left thick notwithstanding so as to resemble a fur cap, and his long arms reached his knees. Without uttering a word he advanced towards Richard of Woodville, who had taken a step forward to receive him and drawing a packet from the bosom of his tabard, he placed it in the gentleman's hand. "'From Hall of Hadnock, I suspect,' said Woodville, looking at him closely. "'Nay, I know not,' replied the messenger. "'From Hall, certainly, yet no more Hall of Hadnock than of Monmouth, or Westminster, or any other town of England or Wales. Read, and you will see.' Richard of Woodville tore open the outer cover, and took forth several broad letters, tied and sealed. The first he opened, and drawing near the light, perused its contents attentively. Halop had knock, so it ran, to Richard of Woodville, greeting. Good service requires good service, and honour, honour. Thus you shall find, my comrade of the way, that I have not forgotten you, though matters of much moment and some grief have delayed a promise, and put it out of mind. You too have doubtless had much cause for thought and sorrow, and may perchance have yet affairs to keep you in the realms of England, which, being the case, I do not require that you should lay aside things of weight to bear the enclosed to the noble Duke of Normandy, or his son, or to the faithful servant of this crown, Sir Philip Morgan, now at the court of Burgundy. But the letter addressed to Sir John Grey at Ghent is of some importance to himself, and should find his hands as speedily as may be. If, therefore, by any chance you be minded to stay in England more than fourteen days from the receipt of these, return that packet by the bearer one edward diram but if you be ready to cross the seas ere then keep the messenger with you in your company as i believe him to be faithful and true and skilled in many things and he knoweth my mind towards you which is good neither be offended at speech or jest of his for he hath a license not easily bridled but so long as he useth his tongue for his own conceit so long will he use his knowledge for a friend or master. I give him to you. Treat him well, till you return him to me again, and if there be aught else that can serve you or do you grace, seek me at Westminster, where you will find a friend in Henry. Richard of Woodville pondered, but testified no surprise, and after a moment's thought put the letter in the hand of Sir Henry Dacre, 
who read it through with more apparent wonder than his friend had expressed. "'And who is this?' he asked when he had done. "'He signs himself Henry. Can it be the prince?' "'The prince that was, the king that is,' replied Woodville, giving him a sign to say no more before the messenger. "'And so, my friend, you are to be my companion over sea,' he added, turning to the latter. "'That is as you will, not as I will,' replied the man. "'If you are fool enough to quit England in a fortnight, when you can stay a month, I am to go with you. If you are wise enough to stay, I am wise enough to go alone. Ten days, I hope, at farthest, shall see my foot on other shores, answered Woodville, and pray, Master Edward Dyram, what may be your capacity, quality, or degree, for it is fit that I should know who it is goes with me. Ned Dyram, fair sir, by your leave, replied the messenger, tis so long since I lost the last half of my first name, "'that I know it not when I meet it, "'and I should as much expect my mother's ass to answer me "'if I called him Edward, as I should answer to it myself. "'Then, as to my capacity, "'it is large enough to hold any man's secrets "'without spilling them by the way, "'or to contain the knowledge of a knight, a baron, and squire, "'besides a clerk's and my own, without running over. "'My chief quality is to tell the truth when I like it, "'and other men do not, "'and my degree has never been taken yet,' though I lived long enough with the doctor of Oxford to have caught that sickness, had it been infectious. "'I fear me, Ned Dyram,' said Richard of Woodville, smiling. "'I shall lose much time with you in getting crooked answers to plain questions, but if you have puzzled your own brains with logic, puzzle not mine.' "'Well, well, sir,' answered the other, "'I will be brief, for I am hungry, and you are tired. I am the son of a Franklin, who broke his heart to make me a clerk.' I had, however, no gift for singing, and turned my wits to other things. I can do what men can generally do, and sometimes better than they can. I have broken a man's head one day, and healed it the next, for I have handled a quarter-staff and served a leech. I can cast nativities and draw a horoscope. I can make a horseshoe and sharpen a sword. I can write courthands and speak more languages than I own. I can crook my own dinner when need be, and bake or brew if the settler or the tapster should fail me. A goodly list of qualities indeed, said Richard of Woodville, and though my household is not the most princely, we will find you an office, Ned Dyram, which you must exercise with discretion. And now, as you are hungry, get you gone to my people, who will stop that evil. We have supped. The messenger withdrew, and Sir Henry Dacre returned the letter which he still held in his hand, to Woodville, saying, So this was the prince, the more cruel in him to sport with the peace of his father's subject. Not so, Dacre, replied his friend, I told you I could explain his conduct, and it is but justice to him to do so, for he intended to be careful, not cruel. Dacre shook his head gloomily. Well, you shall hear, continued Woodville, when I first brought him to my uncle's gate, I knew not who he was, but he had scarcely entered the hall when I remembered him. I kept my own counsel, however, and said nothing, but when he sought his room I went with him as you saw, and there, for a whole hour, we spoke of those we have left below. I told him nothing, Harry, for his quick eye had gleaned the truth wherever it turned, and I had only to set him right on some things regarding the past. He knew you by name, and took interest in your fate as well as mine. I'd fain tell you all, but in the mood in which you are, I fear that I may pain you. Speak, Dick, speak, answered the knight. 
Have we not been as brothers since our boyhood, that you may not give me all your thoughts freely? Say all you have to say. Keep naught behind, if you love me, for I have grown as suspicious as the rest, and shall doubt if I see you hesitate. Well, at all risks, said Richard of Woodville, it is better to give you some pain, perhaps, than to leave you with your present thoughts. We talked then, first of myself and Mary Markham, and then of you and Catherine. He saw you loved her not. "'Twas her own fault,' said Dacre. "'She crushed out love that might have once been deep and true.' "'I told him so,' replied Woodville. "'And he added, why, as you both clearly wished the bond that bound you to each other loosened, "'you did not apply to the church and the law to break it. "'I said what perhaps had better not been said, "'but yet what I believed, that if you proposed it, she would not consent.' for that she loved to keep you as captive, if not by love's chains, by any other. He fancied, Harry, that in that incomplete union were dissolved. You might be happy with another, I with Isabel. Ha! exclaimed Dacre. Ha! I have been so careless of my looks that a mere stranger should... And he bent down his brow upon his hands and remained for an instant silent. Then looking up, he added, Well, Richard, I have been a fool... But was it possible to stand between a desert and paradise and not regret that I could never pass the boundary? To look into a scene of joy and peace and not long to rest the weary heart and cool the aching brow in the calm groves and pleasure glades before me? Who would compare those two things and not choose between them in spite of fate? But what said he more? He thought you might be happy, answered Woodville, and that the only barrier was one that he might prompt Catherine to remove herself. For that object he humoured her caprice and played with her light vanity. He told me that he would, and I saw that he did so, for his was no heart to be suddenly made captive by one such as Catherine Beecham. Besides, it was clear his words, half sweet, half sour, were all aimed at that end, for ever and anon, when his tone was full of courteous gallantry, some sharp jest would break through, as if he could not keep down the somewhat scornful thoughts with which her idle vanity moved him. "'Then I did him wrong,' answered Dacre, "'for had he succeeded and led her to propose of her own will "'that our betrothing should be annulled, "'no boon on all the earth could have been equal to that blessing. "'It has turned out sadly, yet I will not blame him, "'for who can tell when he draws a bowstring in the dark "'where the shaft may fall? "'But say, Richard, was he aware you knew his station?' "'I never told him,' replied his friend.' but I think that he divined. You see, in his letter, that he gives no explanation. But listen, Harry, will it not be better, now that we have spoken freely on this theme? Will it not better, I say, for you to return home? Let the first memory of these dark days pass away, and seek for happiness with one who may well make up for all that you have suttered in the past. What? cried Dacre. With this stain upon my name? Oh, no, that dream of joy is gone. No, no, my only course is to forget that there is such a thing as love on earth, and to follow with your friend, Chaucer's lay, that love ne is in young folk but rage, and in old folk a great dotage, who most inuseth, he most shall impair, for thereof comes disease and heaviness, so sorrow and care, and many a great sickness, despite debate and anger and envy, depraving shame, untrust and jealousy, Pride, mischief, poverty, and woodness. 
"'Tis the song of the cuckoo, Harry,' replied Woodville. "'But this sad humour, built upon a baseless dream, "'will pass away when you find that the suspicions "'which you now fancy in every one's heart "'live but in your own imagination, "'and then you will answer with the nightingale "'that evermore love his servants amendeth, "'and from all evil takes them defendeth.' But time must do his own work, until then argument is of no avail. Yet I would fain not have you lose bright days with me in foreign lands. Happy were I if I could stay like you in hope, and lead the pleasant summer life beneath the lightsome looks of her whom I love best. Think of it, Harry, think of it, and do not rashly judge that you see clear, till you have wiped the dust out of your eyes. Dacre shook his head and answered, I will to rest, Richard, such as I can find, for now that I have got this craven's reply, I have no further business here till I join you again upon our pilgrimage. I will away to-morrow to prepare, and we shall meet before I go. I know my way. End of chapter 6